0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Max Talks AI. Today, on this episode, I have Yessi Bello Paris. Yessi is an editor at UK Tech News. You can access it at uktech.news. And it's a leading publication inspiring and connecting UK tech businesses with breaking news, data led industry analysis, profiles, and events. Yessi um, and I met a few weeks or months ago at this event called Joining the Dots uh, What Artificial Intelligence Can Do for Your Business. The event was held at Oric Law Firm and organized by a company called Prospects. so shout out and huge thank you to both of them. On the episode, Jesse and I discuss the state of play in tech journalism, artificial intelligence startups in the UK and globally, self-driving cars and many other super fascinating things. I sincerely hope that this is the best use of an hour of your time you have ever deployed. Thank you very much and uh, enjoy this episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Max Talks AI. Today, I'm joined by Yessi Bello Paris. Hi, Yessi.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: I'm great, and I know that you're great because you told <laughs> me before the interview. Um, yeah. I'm very pleased to have you on the show, and um, I'm excited for the conversation to come.
1: Brilliant. Yeah, me too. And thank you very much for having me.
0: No problem. Um, could you just uh, let me and the listeners know how you got into tech journalism?
1: Yeah, sure. So actually, my story is quite interesting, or at least I think it is, because I kind of um, retrained as a journalist in my early 20s and um, did a master's in multimedia journalism. But that, at mm-hmm. that point in my life, uh, most of the experience that I had up until then was actually in um, lifestyle reporting. So that's kind of where I saw myself and my career like heading towards. So it wasn't mm-hmm. really up until 2000... And, oh gosh, I need to actually stop and think. So it must have been 2015... Um, when I came across a job um, advert for an editorial position at a publication called Coindesk,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so they are a Bitcoin and blockchain news website. Um, in all honesty, I had absolutely no idea what the technology was or what it entailed. So I, my expectations in terms of actually landing that role were slim to none. But um, luckily, uh, I managed to get a job there and I was there for a year. It was extremely challenging because, as I said, I never really thought that I was um, specifically technically minded, um, Mm -hmm. but ended up really enjoying the space. I got really into fintech and it was just really um, interesting and I was very privileged to kind of join the tech journalism industry at that time because obviously Bitcoin and blockchain were kind of becoming increasingly more mainstream in the sense that a lot of the mainstream press was starting to write about a bit more banks and incumbents were trying to kind of keep abreast of what where the technology was heading and um you know it was becoming a lot more well-known, even though my granddad thought that I was working for some kind of weird, <laughs> obscure thing. He couldn't couldn't quite understand how could computers could mine um, money and how people could make money by trading and investing in Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was every year, really enjoyed it. And then ultimately kind of um, transitioned into UKTN, which at the time was uh, Tech City News. So mm-hmm. I joined here in 2016. And just kind of worked my way up and this position has been fantastic as well because it's actually just made me realize that it's not just fintech that I'm interested in Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and it's given me the opportunity to learn a lot more about the industry as a whole and learn a lot about um, specific technologies such as obviously AI, hence why I'm here today, um, blockchain and just everything and anything.
0: Mm-hmm. So then just, just kind of going back to you move from lifestyle journalist to tech journalist, just yes. dig into, were you interested in technology prior to, I'm guessing, prior to applying to Coinbase? And CoinDesk. how did that, Coinbase. Co- CoinDesk, sorry, and how mm-hmm. that interest um, came about?
1: Yeah, so I think growing up and especially as a teenager, I was interested in technology as far as saying that I always kind of wanted the latest uh, mobile phone, mobile um, phone, and it was always that was kind of in the back of my mind. Um, but I think my problem was that I kind of associated tech with um, a lot of like deep technical skills. So mm-hmm. my understanding of it was probably as far as any, um, any average consumer that you'd find on the street. Um, I always thought technology was cool. And I always um, kind of kept an eye on like what the big tech companies, specifically like the big personalities and technology were doing. Mm -hmm. So I've never really been anyone to get excited by meeting, um, you know, movie stars or like TV presenters. But ultimately, if you said to me, oh, my gosh, you know, you could potentially meet someone like Bill Gates or the caliber of Mark Zuckerberg. I always found that a lot more um, interesting because they're ultimately people that were shaping the world and not just today, but in years to come. So I guess I was kind of interested in the whole like visionary um part of technology and innovation um but yes i said i just never mm-hmm. in a million years would have imagined that i'd end up in uh, working in tech but i do i do love it i enjoy it and i sincerely couldn't um see myself doing anything else
2: Mm-hmm.
0: could you then i'm just wondering about what you said um about sort of uh celebrities in the tech world versus yeah. you know you weren't really excited for seeing uh, tv hosts but mm-hmm. were excited to for example see like kia zuckerberg speak and stuff like that yeah. um why why did you think this happened so because really tech company ceo now have kind of rock star status which was yeah. really unheard of mm-hmm. for any CEO of just in general I feel like business people have this celebrity status now just if you had to drop your opinion on this why why do you think this came about is it just the just kind of how important tech is to shape in the culture or is uh what, what are your thoughts on this
1: so I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they've done a very good job in like evangelizing the masses, and I say evangelizing, um, quite lightly. Um, it ultimately comes down to you know like PR, and it they're all incredibly bright and intelligent in their own right, and they've just done mm-hmm. a very good job in terms of like bringing what they do and communicating it in such a way that potentially like most. Um, civilians, so the average citizens, like, understand roughly yeah. what their technology and what their companies are trying to achieve. Again, the point that you made in terms of then making um, technology, I, you know, no, no, you don't have to be an expert to know that it kind of like transcends and permeates into every single aspect of our lives. Um, so I doubt there's anyone out there that doesn't know who the founder of Google was, or who the founder of Facebook is, or who the founder mm-hmm. of um, Microsoft is. But in terms of going back to your point about the whole, like, tech um, CEO and, like, rockstar status, Mm -hmm. I find that very dangerous. Yep. Because um, even when we saw the whole, like, um, scandal around the Facebook and Cambridge Analytica story um, explode, uh, you know, I think it's important to realize that these people are business people. They're in their businesses because they want to make money, so they're all profit-orientated. Um, I think sometimes we forget that and I think sometimes people kind of look up to them as some kind of messiah or like, you know, people completely changing the world, which they are up to an extent. But there's also it's also important for society as well as journalists to kind of hold them accountable for any kind Mm -hmm. of um, things that they need to be held accountable for. Um, So I think it's a double edged sword. I think we're living in a very interesting time and I am personally excited um, to see how and when that changes and actually kind of waiting for people to, um, you know, a bit of an uproar, especially around data and, you know, what happens to your data. And ultimately, I don't think the average um, citizen um, knows a lot about this kind of topic. And I think people need a lot more of awareness and education around it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: When you say average citizen doesn't know, do you think it's sort of a conscious, conscious, Ignorance or just lack of education because I think the information is out there. So it's I wonder why people don't know
1: I just don't think people uh, I think there's Similarly to politics perhaps an extent of disengagement, you know, I've often had conversations with family and friends and they were under the assumption that Facebook um well, they're now under the assumption that Facebook sells your data. They, Up until a few months ago, they had absolutely no idea how the platform worked. And I guess my point of thinking is, well, actually, they don't technically sell your data. What they do sell is access to your data. But it's, I hope, anonymized in the sense that like, advertisers just get access to certain profiles because that's who they target and who they deem is relevant for their product. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is. I think... I think people just kind of, when you're living your everyday life, unless you eat and breathe technology, you don't necessarily stop to think about why it works and how it works. I think... There's a kind of a resurgence at the moment, and people are start starting to pay a lot more attention, so even conversations that I've had with um you know my my boyfriend or even people in my family about saying, "Oh my gosh, you know um I'm now going online and I'm searching for different things and then I'm being targeted with those ads when I go on Facebook or Instagram I'm like, yes, there's a reason for that
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: but i don't think I don't think I was having those conversations three months ago, so I think yeah. well, it's all positive. Um, But I think we do need to um, make sure that although the information is out there, you know, unless people um, take it upon themselves to try and understand how these companies that are, they probably use every day. I mean, who doesn't shop on Amazon? um you know every other day i know i do who doesn't go on facebook who doesn't go on instagram who doesn't use whatsapp um you know i think as consumers we also have a responsibility to stop and think um how these companies make money and how that might affect our privacy and our you and our data
0: yeah you know i totally agree i think it's just to me it was i heard this uh this talk ages ago and it i mean i think five or six years ago and it was about Facebook and data and sort Mm -hmm. of no one was really too worried about back then and it basically said that the users of Facebook are not actually the users they're the product of Facebook okay while the businesses that actually market themselves they're the users of Facebook so that you are really a product of this corporation if if you think about it
1: yeah I mean you're you're basically mm -hmm. feeding into you're basically feeding them exactly what they need to make money. So as much as they're providing a service in the sense that they allow you to, what's the line, connecting people. And, you know, I've caught up with people that I've lost touch with and all of that is great. But ultimately, without the user, what is Facebook?
0: Yeah, that's very true. But I mean, to me, it's always striking how this service, Facebook, Google, these services are free. As in, like, you don't pay, you just have access to it. Mm. So, obviously, there is some kind of an exchange, especially since they're publicly traded stock,
2: mm.
0: right? So, do, do you think it's it's only fair that Facebook and, you know, all the other social medias and Google and, and Microsoft, if they draw very clear lines about what they actually do and be transparent, then as soon as, soon as they do that, then it's kind of fair play?
1: Yeah, and I think the problem is as well that, you know, we saw that during the uh, US Congress testimony when Zuckerberg was kind of volunteered to go in and answer questions from politicians. I think the issue Mm -hmm. is that yet again, most of the politicians in the room didn't necessarily understand anything about how Facebook's business model works, or in fact, how the technology works. I mean, I remember specifically one question that was asked was, you know, you don't charge for your services, so therefore, how do you make money? And then the camera kind of like turned onto Zuckerberg and he kind of smirked and said, well, we sell advertising, sir. Like the fact that those Mm -hmm. questions are Mm -hmm. even being asked is just beyond, it's beyond me.
0: Yes, this is true. But also Zuckerberg was, the way he... He's amazing at shaping the, the, the public opinion,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so that I feel like... Have you seen, actually, you know, it reminded me of this video. Have you seen this video called Mark Zuckerberg tries water for the first time? <laughs> no,
1: I haven't, but it's that the sounds like... It's the best thing
0: ever. It's the best <laughs> thing ever. There was just a glass of water, and he looks at it like it's some sort of an alien substance, and then tries it, and like, hmm.
1: <laughs> I definitely it's, it's... need to check that out, then.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. All right, then, what about... Um, since we started talking about technology personalities, I'd like to hear your opinion on uh, something I discussed with uh, Luke demel the other day. And it's the fact that in artificial intelligence kind of media, right, and we're mm. talking, uh, you know, not, not specifically UK tech news, but, you know, any any tech coverage, really. The loudest mm. voices are the ones who have vested, vested interests in artificial intelligence as as a commercial technology, right? So talking about, you know, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, you know, Zuckerberg, you know, all those people have very, very direct bets placed on how the AI thing is going to work out basically in in different vectors and different industries, but still to some extent, yet they're the loudest. And to me, it seems like, People take at face value what they say about the future. And as you said, prophesizing about what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yet we kind of forget because just their voices are so loud online. We forget that, you know, they are pursuing their own agendas being, you know, CEOs or being on the board of publicly traded companies.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very interesting point. Um, Yeah, I would, I mean, totally agree um, to an extent, I think what these people have to say is obviously interesting um, and it's insightful, but then I think it's important to put it into a wider context of what's happening in the industry. So obviously they're going to say stuff that like positively impacts what impacts what they're doing mm-hmm. um, within their own businesses. Um, but uh, I mean, Elon Musk's Twitter, uh, <laughs> I, um I do probably spend a lot more time than I should going through it just because I find what he says incredibly far-fetched. But And he's Mm -hmm. ultimately, in my opinion, just always looking for a reaction. And I think Mm -hmm. that's positive in the sense that if you do that and you kind of spark a thought in somebody else's mind, then you kind of get a conversation going. I think the relationship between him and Zuckerberg online in terms of like the you know doom and gloom when it comes to AI and the kind of um you know like focusing on the positive it's interesting to see how they interact with each other and where they how they differ in terms of opinion um My issue with it, I think not just with them too actually just in general um Is the fact that people aren't necessarily discussing the whole ethics around ai as much as they should Mm -hmm. um i think it's all well and great to say you know it might potentially impact jobs down the line and i'm sure it will but i think that's just in the natural progression of things technology has already displaced people from x amount of jobs in this day and age yet hopefully we're able to find different roles for people to step in when technology hasn't taken those away from them but You know, when you talk about um, AI and um, having a huge impact in people's lives, I think it's important to focus on the positive as well as the negative. And I don't agree Mm -hmm. that it's going to be as as bad as Elon Musk often says it is. um, And it's not going to be as great as what Zuckerberg often says either. Um, So it's just about finding the middle ground, in my opinion.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: What about then, uh, again, still on this topic of celebrities in tech, uh, I know that you work with a uh, plenty of artificial intelligence startups. Yeah. Right. What? So this impact, obviously, when something gets hot, um, a lot of people jump on it, regardless of kind of their objective shot at achieving, uh, you know, top five, top two percent in that industry, right? Mm-hmm. So that w- what impact does it have on uh, the upcoming tech startup founders, and what what do you think that? Because to me, I feel like that ecosystem is selling a, a dream that is sometimes unrealistic and a lot of the time is unrealistic in the long term kind of when venture capital is, is in a in a worse position i think a lot of the mm-hmm. companies that don't have that clear business model are going to be struggling and then you know those individuals who got sold this dream of a tech founder are just going to be crushed since you know i personally know many of them and this would just crush them just what, what do you think not not taking my opinion as a sort of blueprint, but what do you think yourself? And obviously you're more, um, educated on this.
1: Um, so I think what is interesting and we've only really noticed this in the past, uh, year and a bit or so is the fact that there's a lot of companies out there masking themselves as, um, AI companies when ultimately they're nothing more than big data.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and I don't say big data like nothing more than big data in a derogative way, but you know, there's a difference Um, and one and the other. The more I talk to investors, the more I realize that they're seeing this on their side as well. So like founders coming in to pitch to them and kind of um, under the premise of them being an AI company. And then when they unearth um, what their proprietary technology is or what they do as a business, they often realize that it's nothing more than like a data company, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But then I think people sometimes use the buzzword to try and open Mm -hmm. doors for themselves um i think the uk is extremely well placed um to be in the ai um space there's obviously a lot of like interesting conversations going coming from government and a lot of like pumping of investment into the the sector as well which often makes me a little bit sad as well and i use the term sad quite lightly but there's a lot of um there's a danger in that as well, because I don't feel that AI should be treated differently to any other technology. Mm -hmm. I think the very interesting thing about the technology though, is that it spans across every single different vertical. So you can talk about AI and FinTech, AI and health tech, which I think is really interesting in terms of how it's been applied to either potentially try and diagnose disease, but also treat it. Um, So, yeah, sorry. I don't know if that answered your question. I think I'm just waffling now. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: No, no. Kind of. Um, if you could think about more of, because I know you know you probably know some of them quite closely professionally, and I'm talking about the uh, you know people, the managing position of positions okay. of tech startups. What what kind of just thinking about their mindset and just you know as as you interacted with them, what what do they have in mind? What is their end goal usually?
1: So, in terms of what they try and set out to do with the business, you kind of see the same thing across the board. So, it's about maximising efficiency, cutting down costs, and just ultimately helping businesses, whether they're incumbent or fellow startups or scale-ups, become much more uh, lenient in terms of what they do and much more agile um, in terms of business goals. Uh, when it comes to like uh, where they see their companies going, it varies quite a lot it's kind of ad hoc mm-hmm. some people ultimately set up a company um and they don't raise any funding from the get go or if they do it would be a very small family and friends round others depending on what kind of market sector they're operating in will go down the vc route and others kind of want to acquire or be acquired and some of them like the really ambitious ones um and this is actually quite hard to come by in the UK, in my experience, have the stock exchange in mind. So they're looking at IPOs, going public, and growing their businesses that way. very range, varied range mm-hmm. of uh, different motivations and different expectations. Um, I think what's changed in the past few years, though, or at least since I've been involved in the sector, we're increasingly seeing more people saying, you know, I don't want to build a $100 million business or a £100 million business. I'm looking to build an a, a, a £1 billion or a $1 billion business. Um, so I think the mindset from, and I know this is really clichéd, um, but the mindset from uh, places such as Silicon Valley is definitely um, permeating its way into the UK, which is is great mm-hmm. to see. And there's definitely a lot more ambition. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably quite hard, though, to um, raise money from investors, because um, as AI becomes increasingly more buzzwordy, um, mm-hmm. there's obviously a lot more scrutiny um, in terms of what investors are going to look at putting money into um, with regards to what other companies are doing in that similar space. Um, There's all sorts of different challenges that people kind of um, talk about when we meet with them and have conversations with them. You know, talent is a massive pain point, not just in AI, but in the whole tech industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. But especially when you talk about early stage um, AI businesses or even AI scale ups, um, you know, uh, founders are very well aware of the fact that they're competing with talent, not just with the big tech giants, which are obviously Facebook, uh, you know, Google, Amazon and whatnot, which actually have um, an increasingly um, felt presence here in the UK. But there's a lot of uh, incredibly bright Minds when it comes to artificial intelligence in in academia and they're
2: mm-hmm. much
1: more likely to perhaps buy into the premise of going to work at a tech giant that they are to go and work at a startup where that they've never really heard of. Um, mm-hmm. So the whole the whole play between. Um, small businesses, um, tech giants is interesting. Um, they're also competing in terms of data. So the amount of data that p- companies such as Apple, Facebook and whatnot hold on users that can ultimately be used to perfect algorithms is far greater than that held by early stage businesses. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so yeah, there's a different, like a whole different host of, uh, of things that make the industry challenging, but also quite exciting in my opinion.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Just to follow up on what you said about uh, artificial intelligence being a buzzword, I feel that I heard this AI is very difficult to define, historically has been. Mm. And um, if I heard this definition that goes, artificial intelligence is everything that's everything cool that technology can't yet do. <laughs> so it's like AI is something. And then once we achieve it, then this is not no longer artificial intelligence, or this is just narrow artificial intelligence. Mm. And then we kind of set another goal. But I feel that now with how much of a buzzword and how much of a hot topic that can just kind of bring you dividends instantly, really, Uh, you know, because investors are are, are jumping on, you know, obviously it's still difficult to raise money, Mm -hmm. uh, yet it is still kind of a hot word that you can use to, you know, benefit your business. But I feel like that definition of uh, cool things that technology can't yet do is kind of diluted now because similar to similar to what you said about big data we started calling things that we didn't used to call ai kind of ai in um kind of post-factum don't you feel that this is happening
1: yeah i think the industry in a lot of sense like in a lot of respects is still very nascent but it's definitely matured in the two two three years that i have been covering it Mm -hmm. um which is which I guess, like, yet again, is um, the uh, like natural state of progression. If I then compare it to blockchain, um, so I would still obviously say that that industry in itself is quite nascent, but there's been a lot of changes in perceptions in terms of when I started writing about it, you know, people, especially from the corporate world, would often mm-hmm. say it's an interesting technology, yet we feel like it's still looking for a problem to solve. Um, with AI, I don't think that's ever been the case. I think the problem has the problems, sorry, plural, has always mm-hmm. have always been clear and there's always been more of a like roadmap or mind map yeah. in in out outlined. Um and so I think in that sense, it's very much overtaken overtaken uh, blockchain. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole definition around it, you know, there's obviously like neural networks and all mm-hmm. sorts of different things that I am not even going to pretend to understand because I often find that when I go out and meet people, you know, I gave a talk on AI and health tech um about two years ago now Mm -hmm. um so I was there similarly to now talk about the technology from my perspective as a journalist but I soon realized after I kind of um walked into the room that I was there to give a talk to about AI to people that were like neuroscientists and um you know brain surgeons and all Mm -hmm. sorts of like really Mm -hmm. cool and amazing jobs um which was quite scary so um, I was very um, quick to kind of point out the fact that, you know, I wasn't there to like preach or um, talk about the technology in, uh, in depth because ultimately yeah. that's not something that I feel comfortable doing.
2: Mm-hmm. And obviously
1: these people, you know, their their understanding of the technology in terms of like the deep tech is far greater than mine will probably ever be. But I think mm-hmm. what was interesting looking back was the fact that the people in the room, were all interested in the tech. They all wanted to learn more about it, and they all they were all there to figure out ways how to apply it within their own industry. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And I think that is incredibly exciting. Uh, and in industries such as you know financial services, which is heavily regulated, to be able to leverage AI um, to kind of detect fraud or you know uh, figure out identity propositions, similarly in, in the same way that people use blockchain, but also mm-hmm. then looking at it from a completely different perspective and you know being working as a practitioner or, or in the healthcare sector which similarly to financial services obviously you know is plagued with really old legacy systems um, mm-hmm. but also if if it has the potential and we can unlock that to try and um, save lives um, so actually, having a real impact on people's lives beyond saving money or making anything much more efficient when it comes to like business processes, I think that is incredibly, incredibly exciting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Just to pick up on that, since you've started comparing, well, in a way, blockchain and artificial intelligence, <laughs> um, I would like to hear your opinion on the fact that artificial intelligence, before hitting the kind of commercial scene, had uh, decades of science fiction that mm-hmm. really prepared the consumer to. Kind of accept the term and get excited about it, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, whereas, kind of blockchain, the first thing about blockchain was, at least I think, to an average consumer and certainly to me, was a uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah. And then the first thing about cryptocurrency was a uh, kind of drugs, terrorism, and human trafficking. Yeah. So that don't you feel that to me, kind of artificial intelligence didn't have uh, negative coverage like that? So it had it on a science fiction level with Matrix and kind of Terminator, which mm-hmm. is obviously to the extreme of what you know can potentially happen maybe uh but in terms of you know media kind of scandals and things of that nature um there was this thing with a chatbot right on twitter oh, um, yeah. that microsoft released that started saying profan- it, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that started saying profanity <laughs> but then in general if you, if you could compare sort of the early days of um ai emerging in media um you know and hitting mainstream and blockchain since you've been kind of in both how how, how do they compare to each other
1: I would agree with you. I think initially uh crypto had a lot of negative coverage which I find fascinating in itself because you know people would all often say oh the problem with bitcoin is that you can use it on the um dark web and people use it for illicit purposes such as buying guns or, or mm-hmm. drugs or you know the whole silk road um debacle but then you just often think well surely people use cash for exactly those purposes as yeah. well. Um so it's just I think people were very quick to dismiss Bitcoin and just focus on its underlying technology. And I think at the time, they didn't necessarily understand that, I mean, the industry has moved on massively since then, but that you needed a token for the ledger to exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. So definitely Bitcoin did get a lot of negative press. I also think um, that it was mostly due to people in mainstream media not necessarily understanding the technology. Um, partly because they weren't devoted to writing and reading about it every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, AI, I think, has always had a bit of a positive spin. And it's only from my perspective, and obviously this is just my perception, so anyone's free to agree or disagree. um, I only really picked up on the fact that people were starting to talk about the ethics side of it, probably when I think it was Google... That announced they their ethics board, but wouldn't disclose who was part of it. And mm-hmm. I seem to remember that happening sometime I want to say last year or the year before that. But again, my memory fails me. Um, hmm. I think what's interesting though is that people are very quick to um, badmouth the technology uh, when it comes to like self-driving or driverless cars, and especially after the crash that happened earlier mm-hmm. this year. But they don't necessarily stop and think that ultimately planes kind of pilot themselves. Aside yes. from, I think it's takeoff and, and landing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think AI has always been more positive. I think it's starting to get a little bit more like negative stuff, especially when it comes to automation and jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of work in terms um, that needs to be done in terms of demystifying the tech and also um being far more open about um you know what the positives and negatives are as well
0: mhm i'm sure you've um, you've well i suspect you've written uh, something about the the crash the uber crash in arizona mm. but um i i've read a bunch of your articles by the way they're, they're amazing but i haven't read mm-hmm. um, anything about that really so what was your cuz uh, to me i read some i wrote something about it too and to me the coverage in the media uh of that accident was a bit strange in a way they were kind of portraying the facts of that. Right. What, what, just what do you think on a general note, how media handled the kind of first self-driving car crash?
1: So that's a difficult question for many different um, reasons, because I think journalism is an incredibly challenging industry and increasingly so. um, But having said that, you know, obviously devastating that someone died, Mm -hmm. i don't think anyone was you know pleased about that but then you also have to put into perspective that it was it got so much so much coverage because it was the first fatal accident unfortunately however how many people die of um in road traffic accidents when uh, due to human error Mm -hmm. so i think all of that stuff will always make a big splash in the media because there's a news hook and in mm-hmm. this case was obviously the fact that it was the first fatal accident. Um, I think, yeah, it's a really difficult question to answer because um, I don't know whether it could have been done differently or covered differently. And if so, how? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when stuff like that happens, you also need to open up debate and try and um, explain to people why it happened and what the consequences of it um happening again would be and how to prevent those um -hmm. i mean i often get asked the question to me has always been like oh you know what happens if there's a self-driving car and ultimately the, the decision comes down to um deciding whether you're going to run over a dog or like save yourself yeah or what happens when in a similar situation there's a pregnant lady crossing the road what you know what 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 are the consequences and what are the implications for the technology to have that power of of decision um mm-hmm. but then again you're a human you're driving a car you see a dog what are you going to do run over the dog or like spin the wheel and potentially crash into something and injure yourself
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's just a big It's they're big questions but i do genuinely think they need to be addressed and and, and more so.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: actually heard this theory, I'm, I'm not sure if, you, if you've heard it, I'm, and I'm not sure of the source, but I think I've, I've read it either on Twitter or somewhere online that um, uh, one of the solutions is to install an ethical switch mm-hmm. uh, that would kind of, so every driver has a right to predetermine how selfish or altruistic he or she wants to be, or, mm-hmm. I mean, his car should be. Just what do you think about that solution? It seems a bit flawed, no?
1: Yeah, because who's to say that human judgment is also correct. Yeah. What do you think about it? I'd be interesting to, to hear your thoughts on it as well.
0: I think, I mean, to me, it's kind of if if everyone sets a different standard and kind of... First, I think self-driving cars is amazing technology because eventually they will be able to kind of communicate to each other, mm-hmm. right? So then they will be able sort of, you know how the planes, uh, for example, if they go, you know, there is one plane flying in the route of another plane and they would crash so that they actually kind of speak to one another and then they figure out which one's going to go up and which one's going to go down yeah and there was this very famous uh, airplane crash of a soviet plane and an american one and an uh, american model says that eventually you have to listen to a computer right for a pilot so that the computer makes the final decision on uh, kind of those situations when there is another plane basically when there is any emergency uh you have to listen to the computer in the end And then the Soviet system was saying that if there is an emergency, you have to consider the decision of a computer, but the pilot makes the final call. Right. And then there were two planes, one American, one Soviet. And then uh, one decided, well, they ended up deciding the planes and the tech inside decided that one is going to go up and then another one is going to go down. And then the collision would have been avoided. But then while the American one decided to go up, the Soviet pilot saw that the tech decided to go underneath the plane, but then he overruled the decision and also went up, because he thought that the other one was going to go down because of the weather conditions. Okay. And then they ended up colliding. So that, to me, I think w- with those, also installing this kind of ethical switch can uh, start to screw with uh, the way self-driving cars uh, kind of connect to, to each other, because mm-hmm. they have different parameters. So to me, this is kind of difficult to figure out, because I think this is where all the potential is, really. It's not Necessarily about the skill of driving, it is about you know a possibility of the cars communicating with each other that's gonna really save a lot of lives. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it makes sense. Totally but yeah, fun. I
0: mean, it, it it's it's difficult. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure how is it gonna work. And um, you know, do you have to pay kind of tax? Then this this takes you into a weird place of, yeah, some some very very strange regulation. I think I
1: think I'm just glad that I'm not the person that has to <laughs> potentially try and answer all those questions. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I mean, those are obviously, there's no easy answers and they're huge questions. So that, yeah, I mean, technology has a lot of potential, but there's a lot of quen- questions to answer. Um, I was wondering about, uh, I saw that your involvement is mostly with uh, B2B startups rather than B2C. Yeah. How would you uh, kind of distinguish the two ecosystems in tech startups, one B2C, one B2B? How How do they differ in terms of, again, the mindset and the strategy and the general vibe?
1: Um, So I think um, usually B2C propositions seem much more appealing or, I'm sorry for the word that I'm going to use, but like a lot more sexy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's okay. (laughs) They have a wider reach and you're able to perhaps um, provide something that's far more tangible because ultimately you want like real people in the real world to use them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... Regardless of whether on which side you're on, um, typically software is a lot easier than hardware. Hardware obviously comes with a different like set of challenges around, uh, you know, MVPs and product market product fit, and um, ultimately like producing something that people can physically interact with. Um, in terms of the B two B proposition, I think I think it's much more like far reaching in the sense that you can um you solve real problems um mm-hmm. and potentially do so for like multi million uh multi billion um dollar or pound enterprises. So um their strategy though, like obviously you know, B2C B2C has a lot of like differences to it. But ultimately when it comes to raising money, um, we see we tend to see more stuff from the B2B side at the moment. Um mm-hmm. I think and I might be completely wrong but from where I see it like the B2C side of things is much more dominated by um, the big tech companies at the moment
0: yeah do you think there is a clearer kind of business model for, for B2B startups or not really?
1: um so a lot of them seem to be focused on, like, sales and, like, lead mm-hmm. generation. A lot of them, as I mentioned earlier, are doing stuff in the diagnostic space. And I think the intersection between AI, health tech, and even biotech is really, really interesting. Um, and But I think there's quite, it's quite a niche, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of um, the investors are... That are investing in that space obviously come from a heavily like healthcare dominated background which is great because obviously their wealth of knowledge of the sector is amazing mm-hmm. um I think fintech as I said earlier or financial services is really interesting around like fraud detection um well, I find the whole like fraud detection and technology um, side of things like really really interesting anyway um, yeah but yeah they they tend to be doing similar stuff to be honest actually now that I think about it
2: yeah,
0: I actually went to this talk recently at um, Queen Mary's University, and then they were they were talking about uh, you know also AI and fraud detection, and then they actually made a point that AI is just as good from their experience in fraud enablement, yeah, um, as really with any technology. You know, there is you know of course criminals are going to use it just like everyone else is going to use it, so it's just a question of kind of who can who can do it better, really.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um I was wondering then about the some of the companies that you work with what are the most fascinating um AI based tech startups um in, in the UK because I, I I feel that usually these sectors are have been historically dominated by the US with mm-hmm. the big corporates that just came out and crushed everyone but I think that there is a lot of uh, like you said niche companies and tons of them are in London
1: yeah, so I don't, like, I don't know whether they would classify as a startup anymore, but Benevolent AI, I mm-hmm. think, is doing really interesting stuff. And they've obviously just announced um, an expansion to the, well, not recently, but a, about a year ago, expansion into the US. And they've, um, I think they snapped up, is it Joanna Shields as their new CEO? Yeah, the new CEO, so, yep. So she obviously comes with a um, an amazing set of like experience, both at Facebook and, and from the government. Um, I think Rainbird which are not based in London they're based in Norwich um, are really really cool um, obviously Google DeepMind as a market leader mm-hmm. um, but then you've got like really early like early stage stuff such as um, like Genus AR that raised some money um, last year I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of who else because this is the thing. I have random facts in my brain when I don't need them. And then as soon as someone asks me a question, I'm like, oh. um, just trying to think like who the, Oh, Babylon, I think is really cool. Um, oh, yeah. so I, you know, for disclosure, I use them and their chatbot is really, really, really helpful. Um, And I think much more helpful than going on Google because um, there's a lot of good data out there and good information, but a lot of like really bad data that can make hypochondriacs like me basically think that they have like hours left to live. Mm -hmm. So actually being able to use an app that... Kind of facilitates um like trusted information in terms of like what your potential symptoms might be um I think is really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think well who else like anon anon AI or anon AI, but I think they've rebranded something else So they mm-hmm. won best in cyber security um at our elevator pitch last year, and I think they're doing really cool stuff um with with AI as well dark trace obviously um are amazing. Um. although I say amazing lightly because obviously you know I'm not here to endorse any company I'm just <laughs> kind of talking from my yeah. <laughs> perspective I think the application of AI in mental health is really interesting as well mm-hmm. Um, but I can't really think of like potential names spring up there so I think what's exciting about AI is the fact that like not all the companies are actually based in London and what we do as a publication is obviously covering the whole of the UK tech scene so to see different AI businesses spring up all over the UK you know they're obviously mostly tied to the big universities that everyone would expect so like Imperial College, Cambridge, Bristol, uh, Oxford and whatnot Mm -hmm. but I think that just kind of proves that there is talent here and there's like really good universities like spinning out some really really interesting companies
0: Mm -hmm. what about for you know an up-and-coming ai startup to kind of get on the scene and get some pr or maybe reach out to you personally what are you looking for in that you know email or elevator pitch or like anything a message what are you trying to what factors are basically going to make you think like oh okay maybe maybe we should give it a shot maybe we should talk
1: I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so because I yeah. saw
0: just as prior to that because I saw on Twitter I think oh, you God. posted someone uh, misspelling your name. Yeah. Uh, over email <laughs> and you were like, "Alright, this, this this pitch is done," I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, so obviously whenever you do contact a journalist or anyone in for that matter, make sure you get their name right. And gender yeah. because I'm often called Mr. Jassy, Uh and while I find that amusing, uh <laughs> it just makes me want to just not basically engaged and engage in the conversation at all. So I think, you know, obviously in this case, we're talking about AI startups, but broadly speaking, I think this advice kind of uh, applies to anyone like it, trying to engage with the media. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really important to do your research and actually figure out what the publication that you're going to target writes about and why. So that will give you a really good understanding of what particular or specific journalists within that publication are interested in, what they tend to write about, what they don't tend to write about, and then just really target your pitch. So obviously, if you look at UKTN in this instance, you realize that a lot of the stuff that we do in terms of news is around funding rounds.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So just actually putting that in the subject line, so saying, you know, AI startup raises X from X will make me want to open that email. Um, Mm -hmm. Got it. And then explain what your business does. And I I know this sounds relatively simple and like relatively like common sense, but you'd be surprised about the, just how many people um, are unable to do that in a really effective way. And my problem is as a journalist, if you can't explain what your business does, I then don't, necessarily understand it and therefore can't communicate it to my readers so Mm -hmm. avoid using all sorts of like nonsensical buzzwordy pre um type language because it doesn't it doesn't help and it just makes Mm -hmm. the process much more cumbersome Mm -hmm. so So no
0: no disruption
1: yeah, like disruption, innovating, um, mm-hmm. you know, claiming to be the Uber off or the Deliveroo off or the Amazon off like means absolutely nothing and just comes across as lazy. Yeah. Um. So you know, saying something like, for example, um, I don't know, uh, Reading based um AI startup, um, seeking to solve or um, yeah, seeking to solve or address X problem um Mm -hmm. and then kind of telling me because we are a tech publication telling me about the technology and how it works and also how it differs to other people in the space and pinpointing who your competitors are and how you differentiate yourselves from them is also very useful Mm -hmm. because then it gives me an idea of where you sit in the market
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and then what about then um for you how much is it about uh the person and then how much is it about the actual business if you if you could do a percentage split or just uh, lay out your, th- your thoughts on that
1: um personally i'm really interested in founder stories because i mm-hmm. think um there's a lot of different angles and the human angle is always incredibly interesting um and i'm very passionate about diversity in the sector um oh yes could you
0: could you comment on that actually yeah. Sure. So, uh, since you've started, was it, I mean, almost three years you've worked in mm. tech related journalism, right? Yeah. Have you seen an, an upraise in diversity and how has that conversation shaping?
1: So I think the conversation's changed. I think the zeitgeist is very positive and I think people are doing much more to like talk about it and you do go to conferences now and you can see that in some instances like event planners and organisers make a real effort to try and make panel discussions more inclusive. Um, I think there's a the whole... So we're actually launching our own Women in Tech campaign next month um, mm-hmm. and the reason behind that is obviously I'm female. Um, but... Um, I just find it really frustrating in terms of people kind of saying, oh, well, you know, I think women need to realize that ultimately to work in technology, you don't have to be a software developer. And my kind of take on that is, well, why wouldn't you want to be a software developer? Do you know what I mean? Like, why is it that Mm -hmm. that women have kind of been attracted into the industry by telling them, oh, you can work in marketing, you can work in HR, you can work in like content production. Well, that's the case in every industry and men can do the same anyway. I think my real yeah. issue is that I don't agree with um, like there being some kind of witch hunt. I think if anything is ever going to happen and happen quickly and positively, it needs to be about men and women from all different backgrounds, like working together to bring about real change. Um, mm-hmm. Female journalists in technology, uh, I think there's more of them now. When I started, and especially in crypto, it was very much um like a very 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 small minority crypto um specifically at that time and i imagine things have changed slightly but was predominantly um white male dominated Mm -hmm. um you know i don't think it's something that's going to be solved um within a couple of years I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done I think people are slowly and quickly waking up to the fact that you know there is an issue and why wouldn't you as an employer want to have a diverse workforce why wouldn't you want more women within your organization why wouldn't you want more people from different countries and different cultures and different backgrounds with different takes on things with different perceptions with different ideas with different opinions like I just it always just fascinates me that for whatever reason, like there's not more of it. I come personally. Sorry, I can you can tell I I get very excited by this, and I can <laughs> talk about it for for ages. Um, but you know, I'm Spanish. Um, I've been in the UK for 20 years, and the UK is an incredibly diverse country, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things that. Oh well, I don't know about the UK as a whole, but like London as a cosmopolitan city is incredibly diverse, and I think. That's one of the reasons that I'm very proud to live here and to have been born here because the wealth of people that I've met from different places, from like little pockets and corners of the world that I probably hadn't even heard of had I stayed uh, in Spain. um, Mm -hmm. It's just such an attractive, um, I find it incredibly attractive and the fact that, you know, you can come here from wherever you are and hopefully try and make something of yourself. You know, you see people from all over Europe and beyond coming to the UK to set up a business. I think all of that needs to be leveraged far more, and there needs to be more support for women trying to break into business uh, across the board, not just leadership positions. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about software developers, coders, whatever you want to call them. Like, the opportunities are there, and they should be there for absolutely everyone, regardless of gender, race, religion, whatever that might be.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: How about then um, talking not just about women, but about uh, university and school graduates in general? And I always ask that question because um, I think, uh, and especially in your case, I think you would have some interesting takes on that. So say um, there is, you know, a university or school graduate uh, just graduated or about to graduate. And um, for example, they want to go into media, into journalism. Mm -hmm. right Uh, what advice would you give them and what is your take on uh, how technology is changing the profession if it does
1: so i think the technology is making uh, the industry far more challenging i think journalism is an incredibly challenging industry to break into and this is why sometimes i get upset when there's a lot of like criticism around journalists and the media because i think that often comes from a place of misunderstanding of how media works um Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that obviously like journalists are the people that have it hardest, oh my God, like there's doctors saving lives, and you know people that work in the army yeah. that are constantly yeah. like battling real like hardcore issues. But to put things into perspective, um, we're really short of time. We have to be incredibly uh, flexible and adaptable and agile and iterate quickly because especially in the online world you kind of need to be on top of news but also constantly thinking about different ways of doing things and attracting audiences and not just attracting them but building them and keeping them and retaining them. Um, My advice would be to do as much experience as you can, um, work in as many different places as you can um, do uh, whether it's a degree or a master's. I think because my issue was when I started working, a lot of people wouldn't even consider employing you unless you had a media law and sat, like an understanding of media law. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't know whether that's changed because it's been a while. But that was a big, big thing when I started out. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And just write, like, don't ever go to like no one's ever going to consider you for a position if you don't already have a, a blog or you don't already have some kind of presence online, and you can write about anything and everything. As long as you're Mm -hmm. passionate about something that really shows and comes across in your writing, be active on social media. And obviously that comes with a stark warning in terms of like, you know, don't publish stuff that you wouldn't want out there. But that also shows that you can engage with the world around you, attract um, an audience and build a profile for yourself, which is also very important when you're working within a publication. Mm -hmm. And even the stuff that you're doing, Max, in terms of like podcasting, it's great because you're ultimately creating content that you're passionate about and building up a whole different set of skills that are transferable in the real world and also kind of shows that you're just... Um, you know, your multimedia savvy, which in this day and age is is crucial.
2: Hmm.
0: Thanks a Thanks for the kind words. I was I was gonna say that uh, you know maybe it's not just writing. Audio is also, you know, a medium of delivering a message. But actually, since um, just selfishly, how can I write better? Do I just write more? Because I'm fascinated by an idea of potentially writing a book, and I kind of wanted to be a writer, but I can't write for shit. So... I'm sure you can. But it's just, I think, because I went to law school, it comes out really loyally and dry and just not interesting to anyone but me and my grandma who doesn't even speak English. (laughs) So that's what advice would you give me? Do I just write more? Is there any book that I can read about writing or what can I do?
1: So I think the best advice someone ever gave to me when I started out was like, Mm -hmm. strip it down. 'Cause mm-hmm. I think the temptation is always to write in a way that makes you sound incredibly clever. And yep. all that ends up doing is you end up creating really complicated and like cumbersome like sentence structures. So mm-hmm. it is a skill in the sense that um, you know, particularly with news writing, there is a formula to it and that can be learned really easily. You just need to be trained, um, trained into it but if you come from a law a legal background you you will already be able to assimilate a lot of information and break that down and dissect it in a really mm-hmm. structured way
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i would say read as much as you can keep writing but just keep it simple yeah uh, have a clear idea in mind about a story what your angle is and then the piece will just write itself um, got it biggest piece of advice obviously is fact checking um i think you know there's a whole current of like journalism in this day and age and that's very dangerous for very many different reasons but just keep at it and i'm sure you will um, mm-hmm. you will do great things and keep me posted on that book that sounds mm-hmm. really cool
0: <laughs> sweet thanks yesi um lastly is there anywhere where you want to drive the audience anything you want to raise awareness about or where can people find you online
1: so yeah i'm on twitter um mm-hmm. my handle is at um, yesi which is ye Bello Perez. Sorry, mm-hmm. I should have spelt my surnames out as well. <laughs> That's um, fine, I will do
0: that in the description.
1: Oh, amazing. Um, on LinkedIn as well, um, so more than happy to connect with people that way. Um, email address, which is Um, You know, happy to hear from anyone that has any kind of involvement in the UK tech ecosystem, mm-hmm. and that goes as far as, like, early-stage startups all the way through people working in the, in the corporate world.
0: Cool. And that women in tech Um. Th- campaign that's launched next week how is it can people join or is it a kind of yes yeah, so the
1: campaign is launching in in june um mm-hmm. so uh, we're looking to leverage um a few partners in terms of sponsorship and sponsorship and stuff but we want to make it as, in, as inclusive as possible so i'm more than happy to hear from anyone and everyone of all different ages backgrounds and they don't necessarily have to be in based in the uk alone
0: Sweet. All right. um, Thank you very much, Jesse, for a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it and um, I wish you good luck for the day and uh, keep in touch.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Max. Real pleasure speaking to you today.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: Cheers. Bye-bye. Ciao.
0: Hi, guys. Max here again. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I certainly did enjoy the conversation and I think Jesse had some amazing uh, nuggets of wisdom that she dropped in this episode. I really hope that you do take on board her advice. Please go check her out on social media. If you're interested, it's Yessie Bella Perez on Twitter. That's Y E S S I B E L L O P E R E Z on Twitter and Yessie Bella Perez on LinkedIn. Also, if you're interested in tech news, and I'm pretty sure you are because else you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, uh, go to uktech.news. Obviously, it's not just ESE that's writing there, there are other authors, but I think their coverage of uh, news and technology, and they write a lot about artificial intelligence, plenty on artificial intelligence startups, so you definitely can pick up some uh, very useful pieces of news there. As always, if for some reason you want to see what I'm up to and to check out the latest stuff that I put out, go to maxtalksai.com or maxtalksai on Instagram. Thanks again, ciao, speak to you later.